Okay, First John chapter 4. If you and I lived before the death of Christ, every time we sinned, we would be required to take a sacrificial animal to the temple to atone for our sins. And while the blood of that animal would pay for that sin, it would never take it away. It could not take away sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 4. Each time in the future, however, when we sinned, we'd have to do it again. Folks, listen, we we are blessed that we don't live in the Old Testament era. That would be a complicated process to follow. Always having sin hanging over you until you were able to take your lamb or your goat or your cow to the offering to shed their blood and burn it upon the altar to cover your sin. All of that changed, however, when Christ died on the cross. And he came to take away the sins of the world. Not just to cover it. And that is a wonderful blessing. By shedding his blood, he obtained eternal redemption for us. Eternal redemption. His spotless blood can cleanse the conscience, not just the flesh. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, or 14. Unlike the Old Testament sacrifices, Christ shed his blood once for all. Because he was a perfect lamb of God, absolutely sinless, his blood was able to wash away all sin from all people, from all ages, all at once, forever. However, it's not all applied to every person. It has to be received in order to be applied. And we'll look at more of that a little bit later. But when Christ Jesus on the cross cried out, It is finished! He was fulfilling God's just demand for judgment on human sin by suffering, bleeding, And dying in our place. As the Lamb of God, His sinless blood paid for every sinner's judgment in full. That is an amazing truth. And that truth, that satisfactory payment, we call propitiation. Now that's a big word that most of us don't use in our conversations. I've made a list of several of the words we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Propitiation's at the top because I believe propitiation's really where it all starts. There's a sense in which all of these things happen just like that when a person puts their faith in Christ. But there's also a sense in which there is a little bit of a logical order. Obviously, the propitiation, the payment for our sin had to be taken care of before we could be adopted into God's family. So there is a little bit of an order there, but it all takes place momentarily, when a person trusts Christ. But today we're going to be looking at this word propitiation. As you look at this list of words here, propitiation, redemption, justification, regeneration, reconciliation, sanctification, and adoption, if I was to go around the room and ask you to define them, probably most of us couldn't give a very adequate definition for some of them. And that's why we're spending this time to go through this. Because these are things that are precious to us. 
These are the marvels of salvation. These are the things that we sing about in our songs. The songs we sang about this morning were about these truths, about our salvation. And if you know Christ, your Savior, these are things that we need to daily be thanking God for. I think it would be awesome for every one of us to every day say, Lord, as I begin my time with you in prayer today, let me thank you for your propitiation, for dying on that cross and bleeding for me. Thank you for the redemption. Thank you for the justification. Thank you for your regeneration. And go through that list and thank God for that. So there's a purpose in my going through all this for you. But if you're here today and some may not know Christ as your Savior, these are for you. And until you receive it, it doesn't help you. Friday night at a youth activity, we were talking about believing and how that Israel, <clears throat> much of, many of the people in Israel, during the, as they were preparing to go into the promised land, they didn't believe God, and because of their unbelief, they were not able to go in. And then Paul uses that as an illustration in the book of Hebrews of how those who do not believe the gospel will not enter into the promised land of heaven either. And so there's a parallel there. And as we see these things, it's so important. We've got to act upon these things. It's not just enough to know these things. You know, you could memorize all the definitions I'll be giving you and the, the content of that, but until you receive it, it hasn't done you any good. There has to be the reception, the belief. So this morning... I want to attempt to simplify the marvels of propitiation. That's a big task. First of all, we have a serious problem. That's where it all begins. Our problem is that we're all sinners. That's a serious problem. Far more serious than most people want to admit. Right after creation, God warned Adam that he and his wife If they disobeyed, they would die. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 says, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And that verse is an important verse for us to contemplate because when it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he's contrasting death with eternal life. So he's obviously talking about eternal death and eternal life. So when a person dies, when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't suddenly just fall over dead. But they did instantly die spiritually. They lost their fellowship with God. They lost their communion with God. They lost their perfection. And they began to physically die. That's why they're not here today. James chapter 1 verse 15 says, And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Death is a consequence of sin. And we're all sinners. We've all disobeyed. So we've got a problem. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You'll never meet a person in this life who's sinless. I've met one or two that thought they were, but nobody is sinless. We've all sinned. And as a result, we have a major problem. 
God knows the secrets of our heart. We cannot hide them from Him. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, He sees it all. There's nothing that we can hide from Him. Sin is far more dreadful than we would like to think. Isaiah 64 and verse number 6 said, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. He said the very best things we do are like filthy rags. Blood-stained, rotten, filthy rags. That's the best that I do. Not the bad things. That's the good things that I do. God says, compared to His perfection, we have failed. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. The word desperately is malignant. Our heart is malignant. It is incurable. It's not going to get any better by itself. We have a major sin problem. And it's important for us to grasp this because that's what the whole concept of God's salvation hinges on. We've got a major problem that we cannot fix. We meet people all the time that try to say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm trying to be good. They don't get it. There's nothing you can do to clean up your act. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous before God. Oh, yes, it's good to be a better person than the guy down the street that's not a good person. But that doesn't make any better for heaven. Because God said there's not, no one going to get into heaven by their own righteousness. Being sinners, we're condemned. Condemned to hell. Because we've sinned against the holy God. God must punish sin. And our sin separates us from God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. As a disobedient sinners, God's wrath is on us. Now, it's important for us when we think about God's wrath. A lot of times I... I kind of picture it, especially as a kid. You think of the wrath of God, you just think, God's, God, all, I, God sees me sin, He goes, That's not the wrath of God. All right? The wrath of God simply means His righteous judgment. God says, You've sinned, the righteous payment for that sin is death. There's not too many crimes in our society anymore that are considered capital crimes. God hasn't changed his opinion, but God said if a person murders, they were to lose their life. That's a capital crime. But in reality, all of our sin is a capital crime. Every sin will deserve death. Eternal death, separated from God. It's permanent. We can't fix it. When I was in high school, 
I took carpentry class. I, I have to confess, I didn't choose all the real hard classes. All right? I chose the ones that were easier. <laughs> so I enjoyed carpentry class and sports class and stuff like that. I mean, I did take the ones that I had to take. But I, I, carpentry class is one of my favorites because I love carpentry. But I learned a very important lesson in carpentry class one day. I had just finished a project, and it was time to varnish the project. So I got out the jar of varnish out of the cabinet and, and pried it open and took, took my brush and I painted my thing, got it all varnished, it looked beautiful. And then it was time to put the jar of varnish away. So I put the lid back on and I took the hammer and went bang, 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 bang. Oh, it splattered all over my shirt. My favorite shirt. I tried everything to get that varnish out. It never came out. It was ruined permanent. And you know, that's kind of the way it is with sin. No matter how hard we try, we're never going to get rid of our sin. It has stained us permanently. And it has caused God's wrath, His righteous judgment to come down upon us. And that breaks God's heart. As God looks down upon us, His heart is broken. He doesn't want us to have to go to hell. That's not God's desire. 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's patient. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, that's what I want. I want everybody to come to repentance. But sadly, a lot of people don't want that. But that's not the heart of God. He wants us to come. So the wrath of God, his righteous judgment is upon us. But this brings us to a second thought, and that is that propitiation is Christ's payment. We've got a problem. But God's payment, Jesus Christ made that payment for us. No human effort can possibly remove the wrath of God. It's not possible to remove that. It'd be like you, you and a friend going down to the ocean and walking along the ocean and decide to take a walk out into the water a little way, and you're holding your friend's phone, and all of a sudden it drops and lands in the water. Mm. That's not real good unless your phone is waterproof. Because you pull that out of the water, and that phone just went to phone death. All right? And you can say, I'm sorry. You can say, I'll never do it again. I'll try it all off. It'll be okay. It won't be okay. You're not going to get that phone to work again. Because it just died. Permanently. And that's what happens to us. Death separates us from God permanently. God states in Hebrews 9, verse 22, without shedding of blood is no remission. No remission without the shedding of blood. Now, in the Old Testament, they would have to take their lamb down there. And you'd see people walking down to the temple, and they go, he's done something wrong again. He takes his lamb in there. What happens to that poor lamb? They cut his throat, pour out the blood, pour the blood out on the altar, burn the lamb on the altar. That lamb was done. His blood was a payment for sin. It covered the sin, didn't take it away. He still had a sin nature. He's going to do it again. He'll be down in another couple of weeks with another lamb because of his sin. But Jesus Christ reached down to help us. He came to earth to propitiate man's sin. 
And this brings us to our text. I haven't even read our text yet to us. First John chapter 4, verse number 10. First John 4, verse number 10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a lot in that verse you can learn from. You know, if you're trying to decide what love is, you have to take a look at that verse. That verse puts a definition of love that makes all of us shudder. When God says, love your wife like God loved you, he sent his son to this earth to, why? To be the propitiation for my sin. To pay for the, my sin in full with his blood. That's why Jesus came and God said, that's love. That kind of sacrificial love. And we complain when we got to be a help, when we got to help our wife with the dishes, or we got to do something else. We complain, oh, it's, it's not fair, it's too hard. That's love. Sacrificial to the nth degree. But that's not what I'm talking about here this morning. He says he came to be the propitiation for our sins. He came to pay the debt for us. Christ fulfilled God's just demand for every human by suffering and bleeding and dying in our place as the Lamb of God. He sacrificed His own self. He was sacrificed for us by shedding His blood to pay our judgment. Remember, without the shedding of blood is no remission. But the shedding of Jesus' blood is absolutely perfect. And he was able to shed his blood to pay for all of my sin and all of your sin and all of your neighbor's sin and all of everyone else's sin. That's a wonderful truth. He paid for our sins in full. And so that verse, our text verse, here in his love, not that we love God. (laughs) That's a sorry love. Us loving God. He said we love God because he first loved us. But God loved us when we weren't lovable. And he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sin. To pay that debt in full. To satisfy the complete judgment of God upon our sin. Speaking of Christ, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 and 14 states, Neither by the blood of bulls and of goats... But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through his eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus Christ paid our debt in full. All of it. Every bit of it. That's why it is so evil and so offensive to God when someone says, I'll do my very best and God will pick up what I can't do. That is a slap in God's face. God says, you can't do anything. I've done it all. I paid for it in full. We've got to remember that. Flip back a couple of pages or maybe one page in your Bible to John, 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. The whole of chapter 1 He talks about how we need to walk in the light as he is in the light and confess our sins if we've done wrong. But then he starts out in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 John. He says, My little children, 
these things write unto you that ye sin not. God said, I do not want you to sin. And he makes that absolutely clear to us. I do not want you to sin. Now, it's important you see this. This verse is really key to understanding the whole book. Because he didn't say there, my little children, it's impossible for you to sin. He didn't say that. And yet there's a lot of people that interpret this book like that. Because you read on further and he talks about, you know, if you really, if, if you, you know, he says you shouldn't sin. And they, they get confused with that. But here he makes it clear. He says, Christians will sin. And I know that you and I this week will op sin. We'll have a wrong thought. We'll get say something we shouldn't say. We'll do something we shouldn't do. We're, we're, we're not sinless people. And he says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a lawyer in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's a key that he said that he's the righteous. He is the only one that is absolutely sinless. He's the sinless lamb of God. He is our righteous lawyer defending us. And he says in verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He's a propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ is our lawyer. He's in the devil. He delights in accusing us. And he, in Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And every time you sin, the devil goes, Father, look at this. Look what that person down there did. They did this. They said that. They acted like it. Look at that. That's not right. You know that's not right. And Jesus Christ steps in and says, Father, <clears throat> I'm the lawyer. I'm the advocate. And I paid the debt for that sin. I propitiated it in full. I've got scars to prove it. I paid the debt in full. I shed my blood for that sin. And the father says, case dismissed. And the devil comes back to the next time and says, look what they did now. And Jesus says, I paid the debt in full. And the father says, case dismissed. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. Now he expects us to confess when we've done wrong. We see that in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if you've sinned, you need to confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's able to do that. He's faithful and just to do it. Just means he's righteous to forgive us. Why? Because he's the propitiation for our sins. He paid it all. He paid for all of it. He shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. He gave his life. He poured out his blood, shed his blood on that cross for the payment of my sin and yours. Harry Ironside, one of the commentators of days gone by, made this observation that I thought was very helpful. He said that Christ is not our advocate with God, but with the Father. God is still our Father even when we sin. He does not disown us. As our advocate, he defends us. Now catch that. He says there in the verse, we have an advocate with the Father. He didn't say we have an advocate with God. Now God and the Father are the same, but he emphasized the Father. Because he is my Father, if I know him as my Savior, he is my Father. He's your Father. And we have an advocate with the Father. And he's the Father of Jesus Christ in that sense as well. And he's there to defend us. 
What a blessing to have Jesus as our advocate. The hymn that we often sing by E.M. Hall, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What a blessing. So we see here the propitiation is Christ's payment. But now notice with me that propitiation is Christ's present to us. Christ's propitiation paid for all our sins. We saw that in verse number 2. He says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. He didn't say, I propitiated the really bad sins you did, but not those little ones. He says, I'm the propitiation for all of your sins. It is his payment alone that can help us. No amount of good deeds will ever gain anyone eternal life. You'll never escape judgment by being good. Never. Never. If this week you were driving down the freeway or some other road and you weren't paying attention and you got over the speed limit and next thing you know you got a fine in the mail for a $100 fine for going too fast. And you go in to see the judge and say, you know, judge, listen. I promise I'll never do it again. I'll be so good. I will never do that. I will be really, really careful. Do you think the judge is going to say, that's fine. I forgive you. We'll let it go. That's okay. Not a chance. He's going to say, I'm sorry, but you broke the law. The law says you've got to pay this fine. You've got a $100 fine. You've got to pay the fine. Sorry. You're not going to get out of it by making excuses. And yet many times people think they can come to Almighty God and say, God, I promise I'll be good. I'm going to try hard. I was baptized. I said, take communion. I, I do nice things. I try hard. I, I'm being nice to everybody. I, I'm just a, I'll be a really, really good person. I'm sorry I said something nasty yesterday. It'll be okay. God's not going to say, that's okay. You're such a good person. It'll be all right. Not a chance. Sin brings death. And he says, without the shedding of blood is no remission. The only way we can have that dealt with and taken care of is to come to God and on our knees before him and say, Lord, I am guilty. I did wrong. Would you please forgive me? And he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he's the propitiation for our sin. He's already paid it in full. He doesn't have to say, well, you know, that's the 29th thousand time you did that one, so I, I haven't paid for that many of them. I'll have to go back and pay some more. No, I paid it all. All. That is a wonderful truth. Christ's death and resurrection is the only propitiation that God will ever accept. He won't accept anything else. You're not going to be able to earn it. You're not going to be able to make excuses. He says, that's the only thing. It's the blood of Jesus Christ or nothing. The Old Testament saints looked forward to that time when the Messiah would give of his life and shed his blood to 
pay for all of their sins that have been covered by the bloods of animals. You can't go back. You say, well, I just don't like to think of trusting Christ. I'm going to go get me a sheep. and we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to start sacrificing sheep. Well, you can go ahead and try, but that's not going to solve the problem because Jesus Christ has already paid for the problem. And he says, do it my way or that's it. He says, I paid the debt in full and you can't fix it yourself. Christ's propitiation paid for the sins of the whole world. Read the rest of that verse. 1 John 2, 2. And he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is amazing. He died for the sins of the whole world. You know, the false teaching that Jesus Christ only died for an elect few is a false teaching. A lot of people are believing that today. A lot of people are promoting that and saying, well, Jesus only died for an elect few. And the rest of them, sorry, you didn't. You know, why would he die for you if you're not going to believe and you're not part of his elect? So why would he die for you? He only died for the elect few. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world. Everybody. You will never meet a person you, that you try to share the gospel with, and you have to say, I wonder, God, is this one of the electorate, isn't it? You know, maybe I shouldn't witness them to him because that would be a waste of time. No, they all can be saved. He died for everybody. They have to make a choice to choose Christ or reject Christ, to believe or unbelieve. Propitiation was thorough enough to atone for the worst of sinners if they will humble themselves and trust Christ. doesn't matter what a person's done. You know, there's some people in the world that have done very bad things. Wicked things. Lots of bad things. But Christ died for them as well. And if they will humble themselves before the Lord, God would save them. You say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. I've only done one or two bad things, and that guy did, you know, killed 29 people or whatever. That doesn't seem very fair. That's not the point. The point is that sin brings death. It doesn't matter whether that sin is a big sin or a little sin. It still brings death. Oh, yeah, there's consequences to big sins. I'm not going to deny that. But God says, my blood is sufficient for all. We can receive propitiation through faith alone. I want you to look at this verse. Turn back to Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25. We'll start at verse number 22 and read down to 25. Verse 22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is... By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He said, Christ is the propitiation to faith in his blood. 
If you by faith will trust the blood of Jesus Christ to wash you clean, God will give you eternal life. It's that easy. God has not made salvation hard. He's made it very simple. But the hard part is admitting our need. It is humbling to say, I am a sinner. I am guilty. I am going to hell. And I can't fix the problem by being good. That's humbling. But if you will conquer your pride and humble yourself before God, God will save your soul. He said it's that simple. But we've got to humble ourselves and receive it. This is by faith. The only way we can receive Christ's propitiation is by placing our faith and trust in what Christ has done for us. When the humble publican in the temple, you might remember the story Jesus told of a publican and a Pharisee praying in the temple. The Pharisee, he stood out in the middle, raised his hands and prayed out loud and said, Oh Lord, you know, it's me the great guy, you know, and he goes on, dribbles on about how great he is and how wonderful he is and how all the good things he's done and how he's ties and he, he does all things for God. And God basically is just saying, God, aren't you, aren't you glad to have me? I'm a wonderful guy. And the publican, he stands over in the corner and he beats on his breast and he bows his head and he won't even lift up his eyes into heaven. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified rather than the public or the Pharisee who thought he was great already. Now, catch this. When he said, God be merciful to me, the word merciful is the word propitiation. He said, God be propitiated toward me. Cover my sins, wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. Give me cleansing through the blood that only you can do. Wash me clean. Jesus said he went home justified. And he'll do the same for us today. If you come to him today and say, Lord, be merciful to me. Be propitiated toward me. I am a guilty sinner. He will wash you clean. He promises That is a wonderful truth. So as we think about this subject of propitiation, I want you to be able to define it. Put it in your own words, but make sure you understand what it's dealing with. It is the act of Jesus Christ who gave himself to bleed and die and raise again for our sins That he might pay the debt in full for our sins. There's nothing left undone. He paid for every single thing that God held against us. So the wrath of God was absolutely negated. God says there's nothing more to be wrathful about because Jesus paid it all. It's done. And now God can look down upon us, though we know in ourselves we're still Sinners saved by grace, he can look down upon us and see the blood of Jesus Christ, the propitiation paid in full. And that is the key that opens the door for redemption and justification and regeneration and reconciliation and sanctification and adoption. 
it opens the opportunity. If you've never received the propitiation of God, the rest of those things don't belong to you. But if you have, they're all yours. So this morning, if you've received God's propitiation, I challenge you. Cement down in your mind a definition that describes what he did for you by shedding his blood and paying the debt in full to satisfy the wrath of God completely. And then make it a habit on a regular basis to thank God for his propitiation. To thank him for paying the debt in full for you. Thank him for that. If you have no assurance that your sins are forgiven, God loves you. And He sent Christ to be your propitiation. And He wants you to humbly admit your guilt before Him and ask Him to apply that propitiation of Christ to your life. He offers it to you. But you've got to receive it. The only way you can get it is by faith. God's not going to force it on you. He's not going to push it on you. You're not going to get it by being part of a Christian family. You're not going to get it by going to a Christian school. You're not going to get it by taking communion or getting baptized or being good or trying hard or making resolutions. The only way you can get God's propitiation applied to you is by faith and say, Lord, I believe you did that for me. And I want you to wash me clean because I can't fix myself. And when you do that, just like that, He will wash you clean. He promises. It's a wonderful truth. Propitiation is a payment in full, satisfying the wrath of God if you'll receive it.